Hi, I'm Daniel Budai, and this is the Ecom Show, a podcast where you can learn more about the world of high-performing e-commerce players and marketers. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. Let's grow your e-commerce business together. Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with another episode of our Ecom show and today I'm here with uh, Jura from Slovenia and uh, it will be a very exciting podcast today because uh, he will tell everyone how we can scale from zero to let's say hero inside Euro in e-commerce. Uh, hey Jura, how are you today? Yo Daniel, I'm good, how are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a very Nice day here in Hungary. Thank you. Um, so before we jump into the nitty gritty, so I always like uh, starting with this. Uh, please tell us how did you end up in this world of e-commerce and online marketing? What's your okay. background? What's my background? So this was actually the first uh, serious job that I actually got. So I was actually coming out of the faculty of economics and I studied entrepreneurship. And when I finished the school, so uh, after three years, I had no idea what, what I wanted to do with my life, to tell you the truth. So what I did, I actually applied for an internship in a marketing agency because one of the topics that was most interesting to me was marketing. And I wanted to learn how to actually leverage digital marketing. So it was, I understand the physical, so how the TV, the radio works, but I was really curious about the digital because one thing that was uh, interesting to me is that you can actually define who sees your ads. So I think this was one thing. And I started with the internship there. Then I work uh, there for half a year. And then I started uh, my first agency. Okay, I understand. Um, and one more question about this topic. So did you did you study um, marketing in the university? And was it helpful for this? <laughs> no. <laughs> Not at all, no. Right? <laughs> no. <laughs> so we actually had one course for marketing. And I actually don't remember anything about it. It was I think we actually were analyzing one case study that was interesting to me at that time. But other than that, we haven't actually touched any of the digital marketing uh, back then. Yeah. So I wouldn't say it was very helpful, but I would say that faculty for me was very helpful about how to actually see the bigger picture because I actually studied the... Mm -hmm. uh, um, um, economics and uh, specialize in entrepreneurship and it was really valuable for me to understand what are the different areas that you need to actually cover for the business so I think mm -hmm. this was actually uh, the biggest uh, upcoming of going there to understand that it's not only one topic but it's actually a bigger picture yeah 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 and uh, I can I can hear this thing that you know these case studies or may, maybe sometimes you can see real companies or maybe the networking what is good in universities actually not but not the material that you really learn um yeah but our main topic today is more like uh, scaling e-commerce companies um you have uh well you know a lot of experience with that so probably the most important or um sorry not important um most exciting for us is uh, is this story where you 
could scale with with the team uh, from zero to 50 million uh, revenue per uh, year and uh, in Europe. And uh, why I'm really excited about this, because I can talk to many, many guys from Europe who have some limiting beliefs about uh, the European market, that the mm -hmm. US market is bigger, or maybe even China is, you know, nowadays it's a big market. But Europe, it's very, um, you know, there are many, more than 50 countries here, many different languages, and it really limits the scale in their opinion. So please uh, tell us uh, the story of, uh, of this brand. Uh, where did you start with this brand? Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Uh, so actually, the whole journey was four years long. And we were actually, so it was... Uh, we started from scratch, so bootstrapped the business uh, in Slovenia. So it was Shopify store, one country, one product. We started advertising with 15 to 20 euros per day and just uh, see what's the, every, what's the cost per order there. And it was back in 2015. So we started in 2015. Um, and the journey was actually start with uh, here in Slovenia with one product and add products on top of that. And what we quickly found out is similar to the limiting belief that the majority of the people has that you have limited space of how big you can actually scale in a certain country or in a certain mm -hmm. region. So what happens in our case, it was like, so first we sell one product, then we added some more products because we didn't, we uh, didn't want to be dependent only on one product or few products. So we actually touched on several different product categories uh, to diversify the target group. And then actually within two to three months, we actually started making like 60 to 90K per month. And so here in Slovenia, back then it was 1 million people on Facebook. So we started with the acquisition channel, Facebook plus Instagram mm -hmm. back then. We added uh, more channels on top of that later in the process. But what happened there is that we actually, our approach was that we wanted to figure out what's working on the existing market. We wanted to reach the ceiling, I would say a ceiling where you, can actually, you can't actually scale that fast. And when you actually hit that ceiling, you go to another market. And our approach was that we wanted to localize market by market. And so within three years, we were actually present in 13 different markets. Uh, so we quickly became, so quickly, yeah, rather quickly from zero, we uh, became the biggest uh, Facebook advertisers advertising in the region. And we added uh, other channels on top of that. And the approach was always, always to go local. So go global with the local approach. And we call it go local. And yeah. it was like, we wanted to localize the, the language of the customer support, the website, the ads, the influencers. So we tried to localize as many things as possible, the payment system, the certificates. So to play as a local uh, player. And what we actually found out that there are many markets that are under the radar. You can actually see one market can actually have like Hungary as an example or Czech Republic. It's yeah. very under the radar because it's a, it's not that big market, so it's a big market for the eastern part of the Europe, but you can actually really generate some really good revenues on those markets because on one one thing, so there's not that many competition on the yeah. on the western part of the Europe and US, and you, when you actually find the right 
product and the right pricing and the right hook, you can actually really um, make big numbers on the, those markets. So our approach was actually open new markets and then try to take bigger percentage of the market share on the market. So it was not like just open as many markets as possible, but first conquer uh, existing market and then move to the other market. And we started with the smaller markets like so from Slovenia, we went to Croatia, then uh, it was Hungary, Slovakia, Czech Republic. And then we was okay, let's start with Italy and Germany. And Italy and Germany, for example, was were totally different markets because there are other payment methods there. You need some certificates there. Also, the logistic is a little bit different. So we actually needed more time to also understand those biggest markets. But it was just like going step by step, analyze the competition and try to reflect what's already working mm-hmm. on the existing market and then try to do it 5 or 10% better on the new market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. Glocal. So that's yeah, the, Glocal, that's the yeah. name. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a few questions. Um, was it only one product, one niche? Uh, did you add only new countries or you also added new products and new, even new niches to the store? Yeah. So uh, in our case, it was actually so we did like uh, seven, seven figures per month with eight products. So mm-hmm. it, this was the beginning. So and then we were actually we were invited to uh, Dublin Facebook Dublin offices, uh, yeah. where we actually talked with our account manager, and uh, she told us that you are not a sustainable business. Mm-hmm. And we were like, "Come on, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. We're making seven figures per month. We're very sustainable." Yeah. And uh, she said, "Okay, guys, let's imagine five of your products die." how much revenue do you generate? <laughs> and then we, okay, understand, okay, we need to change something. And then we, uh, so then did that year, our main focus was, okay, we don't want to open new markets because at that time we were selling like eight products on eight markets. But so our approach was, okay, we want to stay on the markets that we are right now. And we want to build our presence on the existing market. And we added like, I think 30 different products on each of the markets so this was actually and what that reflects in we were actually jump from 1 million per month to 3 to 4 million per month so it was mm-hmm. a huge growth based on the we just added uh products on top of the platform that was already working so platform meaning the logistic the logistics the content creation the advertising system the it the finances so we just we just updated the current platform with the new with the new products and with this uh, resulted on the tremendous growth. Yeah, 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 I understand. And uh, a few more questions about the strategy mainly. So at what point you decided to go out of Slovenia and uh, and first you went to the East, right? To like Croatia, Hungary, Czech Republic, and after you went more to the West, like Italy and Germany. why did you do it, uh, you know, and why in this order and at what stage you and, and what you can suggest to other e-commerce business owners when they should do this step that, OK, now I go to the second country. Now I go to bigger Western markets and these steps. Yeah. So on my point of view, uh, 
uh, it actually comes down based on the price point, based on the niche that your product mm-hmm. is in, and based on based on the how big your market is. Because if someone, let's say, start in Italy or Germany, they have a lot of room to grow. Because I know many businesses from Germany that do like 50 million per year only in Germany. So yeah, yeah. obviously, when you actually see the growth uh, slowly uh, stops. So it's actually so in our case of so in Slovenia, it was like when we were doing like 100k per month. So this was in Slovenia. In other markets, it was like three to 400 per month. So it actually depends on the which countries you're in, plus which. Uh, which products are you actually selling? So mm-hmm. how big your target group is? Because on, on some end, it could be like 100K and in another case, you can be doing like 1 million in one country if it's a big country. Yeah. But I would say that you actually understand mm-hmm. which is your, it's it's the easiest, usually it's the easiest to start with your own country, where you're coming yeah. from, because yeah. you know the language, you can do all the copy, you can. Uh, you don't need to wait yeah. for the translations and everything. So I usually suggest that if someone is from Europe, they start with the, um, their native country, because it's uh, easiest to test. Yeah. But you understand uh, the people. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you right. understand how the purchase behavior is done. And mm-hmm. but if you if you want to target like for bigger countries or you want to like do first do the research, understand which are the biggest players on the market, what's the price point they're selling with, what are the certificates that they have, what are the payment methods that they offer, and then based on that you can decide. But my big suggestion, and I also recommend this to all of people that we're working with, don't open a new country just to open new market. Because yeah. if you have a potential to grow in an existing market, because if you have like one market that is maybe 20 million population there and you're doing 200K per month, you're still a very small player. Because obviously, if you sell like D2C branded products, your focus should be that you actually take bigger percentage of the market share because based on that, you actually create the brand. If you sell good products, you actually create the branding on the existing and you can work on the retention. And I know, Daniel, that this is where you guys actually come, come into discussion. But I really i am a huge believer of like try to be a stronger player in the existing market. And if you have like a huge market when it's like, 30 million uh, in Europe, this is like 20, 30 million or so on. Maybe you can do like 300K or 500K per month before you open the new one. And uh, But in smaller money, it could be much easier. So I would yeah. I would look at the, how the growth is, how the revenue, plus look at the percentage of the returning customer. Because mm-hmm. once on the market, uh, if you actually, all, if you do all the exclusion right, and you're making uh, the percentage of the returning customer is like between 30 to 40% on the Shopify. So this mm-hmm. is, this is not, this is just my personal opinion. You have, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you, uh, you reach a big potential of the, on the existing market and you need to focus on other channels, work on the retention and there's not that big potential on the acquisition side. And I would actually, based on that data, I would decide, okay, we want to go to another market. Yeah, and it takes time to build it up. Um, yeah. I see companies going to 15, 20 ca- countries because just uh, for the sake of going there, because we we heard that it's a good strategy, but yeah. they were not strong in any of the markets. They 
you know, they wanted to build out the operations and uh, it wasn't profitable because they were not strong in any markets. There is a really good book uh, from Peter Thiel, uh, Zero to One. Maybe uh, you also know that book and he talks a lot about uh, it's much better to be in a small niche, small market and being the market leader, build out a monopole, monopolium basically, than being in a huge market and you are just one of the players and you are not very strong there. Yeah, I so, totally agree with you. I would yeah. much rather do like uh, seven figures in two or three markets than to have like 20 markets and do seven figures. Yeah, and you, you end of the day, you will go mad. <laughs> it's just yeah, and plus you actually, complex. if you focus on less countries and make a, be a big player there, then also like word of mouth, actually, if you sell mm -hmm. good product, word of mouth actually comes to the picture. Exactly. Because what I see with uh, good product, branded products and the product that you can actually build on the retention side, what happens is that you actually, when you open the market mm -hmm. and you open with the acquisition channel, let's say it could be Facebook, Instagram, Google ads, first you actually are, the ROAS is much worse then let's say six months or 12 months in because when you actually spend that much on the marketing and if you sell like really good products and you work also on the retention side overall ROAS increase so also our approach usually is that mm -hmm. we try to take over the market really aggressively to get this acquisition as quick as possible and then work on the retention side. And when we see a profit, there is a good profitability on the existing market, we try to then reinvest on the open market. So it's like a wheel. So you, you don't need to like just focus on the acquisition side all the time yeah. on the existing market, but then on some stage, on the country, you need to be focusing more of the retention side, plus new channels, plus maybe do some branding side with the influencers, PR. So I think it's about finding the right mix and it actually changes down the road how uh, how much time you are actually present on the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm sure we can agree that uh, when you look, when you take a look at let's say i don't know seven figure it can be even eight figure business you take a look at their facebook ad account and they are drop shippers and or they just started out maybe one two years ago a new brand versus an established brand like you can name any like gymshark or louis vuitton or you know all of these uh or at least a well-known brand their roas is just much better right this yeah. is what i could see so far like there are crazy differences. They, it's not like two, three extras, but I could see 20x and it's just a different level of game because people already yeah. know it. It's in their mind and yeah. Yeah, I think it's also the future actually of D2C brands because mm -hmm. in, my, um, in my understanding, there are branded, so there is white label or no brand products, there are branded products and there are brands. So with uh, no branded products, so people usually buy the solution and usually advertisers over promise on the solution side and the customer actually had no idea where they're coming, where they actually are buying from. So they don't know the store that they're buying from. They're just, they know that I'm buying a product that will fix this problem or this is the solution that I have. Yeah. And I think uh, the future of D2C, in, in my opinion, is that actually the D2C brands actually first 
um, sell branded products that tell that are good products, plus they have a story behind them. So you mm-hmm. can see like Gymshark or something like that. They have really good story behind them. And that's actually the reason why they actually can build up these amazing numbers and they can grow so much. So I see exactly. also in the future, like within three to four years, the channels will definitely change. So I believe mm-hmm. that the acquisition, especially acquisition channels will definitely change. But I think the branded side of the story and the people will actually follow the brands, the the companies that actually have their shared values. And I think they're uh, there to stay for the longer period of time. Yeah, exactly. It will be very interesting a few years from now, even this year. And last year was very exciting as well. Um, yeah, it's all, it's always exciting. A lot of opportunities, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if I know it well, this story was from uh, 2015 until 2019, right? Yeah. This, uh, yeah. this business. And after you started your agency, please tell us more about your agency, what you focus on. Uh, what clients you help, how you help them. Yeah, uh, so basically when I uh, started this company, it was like, uh, okay, I want to combine my previous experience. So I actually had the experience from uh, running my own performance agency for three years. Uh, We were actually helping local businesses sell to other countries. And then it was like working in-house for this business as a CMO. So I actually created like the different channels, the content creation department that also communicated with the under, with other departments. And it was like, okay, let's, let's create something that will mix those two experience together. And the idea of the boutiques, boutique uh, e-commerce specialized agency come up. So it was like, okay, we want to work with a um, limited number of clients. Right now we work with only four clients. And uh, okay. the the team is 15 people. So we work as a outsource. We try to, well, the vision is to work as an outsource marketing department. So we try to actually take care first of the acquisition side, then on the branding side with the influencers, plus doing also the sales with them. We try to uh, do some retention side. So basically we with the businesses from when they actually go, get some traction on the market, we usually onboard businesses that make like 50 to 100K per month, something like that. And we try to uh, scale them to seven and eight figures. And uh, usually, so the whole concept is about, okay, how can we actually help limited number of clients scale in Europe? So we try to really uh, take we try to implement this go local approach and combine it with the previous experience yeah. that we have. Yeah, yeah. You have your own method basically and you use it for for these clients. You implement it for, for their marketing. I'm really curious how you qualify these, uh, these clients. Uh, so who is a good fit for you and who is not? Because if you have only four, I guess you are very, you know, you screen them hard. I'm sure. Yeah, there there's a lot of guessing to tell you the truth. So it's uh, it's still not a perfect system. So right now we are on the market for a little bit more than one year. So there's a lot of uh, testing, guessing. Uh, I actually, luckily, I've been involved in many e-commerce projects. So 
I can I can some of the red alerts I can actually define right away. But we have like some different criterias about uh, how high the revenue should be, what's the target ROAS, what's the team structure look like. So we have some uh, different uh, criterias pre-prepared, but we are constantly changing because if you would ask me like three months ago, I would. Uh, tell you like a totally different perfect client portfolio that we have right now. Mm -hmm. So I think it's an ongoing changing process. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, one of the new questions that we started asking a few months ago is um, when we talk with the owner, especially then, but even from the CMO is what what is your goal with your, with your business? Uh, you just want, I mean, not just it's important but you want to make money that's the only goal or maybe you want to build a solid long-lasting brand uh, or or something else maybe making a family business um, and we always ask this because you know there are so many different uh, goals what we can see at business owners and it mm. all defines their actions at the end of the day um, one, sorry please yeah carry on uh, no, so one thing that was also a huge help for us was that we started asking, what did you do before that? Because okay. what we figured out that, that it's really helpful that one person is not in the business for the first time. So that it's not their first business, but they actually tested, failed or scaled. <laughs> but it's really important uh, for us. It's really important to actually to ask this question. What did you do before you started this business? plus what your team looks like. Because usually it comes down to what our team looks like, but on our hand, it's also like a big indicator of what uh, the their team looks like, how structured it is, how big is the team. Do they try to outsource everything or they have something in-house? How do they operate? So this is uh, these are two questions that really helped us a lot when we are yeah. uh, talking with the new potentials leads. Yeah, yeah, and uh, also one lady told me that uh, they always ask people, the you know, potential clients, if they have worked with an agency before, and if they haven't, that's a red flag for them mm. because they never did it and they expect things very differently uh, than they should be. So yeah, these are all important things. Um, so. When we talked for the first time, you mentioned that uh, with this agency, you started this not a long time ago, but you already scaled uh, clients to uh, seven figure with a, a fashion client. So maybe could you share more about that client? And it, it's also in Europe. So what happened there? Are they from yes. Slovenia or somewhere else? Yeah, so they're, central, they're also from Europe. And we actually took a very similar approach that I actually implemented in the previous company that I work. So it was mm -hmm. basically started with one market. Yeah. Uh, different from there was that we actually tried to implement it. So it was no, not only the acquisition side of the marketing, but it was also we tried to, we really involved customers early and run a lot of uh, surveys with them. So we use Typeform for that, just to ask them of uh, what are you missing? What do you like? What did you buy from us? When do you use this product? We also created one survey so they can vote on the design, what they would actually like to see on our store. And plus we implemented like Google ads plus email marketing. So it was, we tried to really build up the 
um, the sales in one country and then we moved to another country. So we actually waited more time in one market. So to really become a big player there and then move to another one because in the previous company, we actually moved to a new country much earlier. But it was basically, yeah, we started working with them when they were in business for one month. Uh, they did 5K and last month, so in this is March 2021, they did 2.5 million euros. Oh, wow. Yeah, wow. With, uh, with basically six markets and we are testing two new ones. So we started testing two, two new yeah. ones, but it was basically done within six markets in Europe. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, and one more thing that you mentioned last time is UGC. So content yeah. creation, and creating all of these creatives, it's, it takes a lot of time, a lot of people. I also know that. But it uh, looks like you, let's say, cracked the code. How to... <laughs> Don't say that, man. <laughs> you never crack the code with content. But yeah, yeah we, we found yeah, I... an effective way, I would say. <laughs> yeah, a more effective way, let's yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. You'll find the next more effective way. So, yeah. So, yeah so, how, how does it look like? Yeah, so uh, maybe a quick story behind it. So, yeah. when I was actually working the previous company, uh, we were actually the bottleneck was always content creation. So, yeah. it wasn't about um, how much ads can we create if we found something that works. Can we scale it or not? So this wasn't the big question. The biggest question was how many content can we actually test? Because down the road, when you actually are doing ads for a longer period of time, you still know that the 80 to 90% of the things that you test won't work. So you need to actually find those 10 to 20% that works to be enable you to actually cover all the testing budget plus to scale to make some profit. And what we actually, so we tested several different approaches. So mm -hmm. one approach was actually we hired a creative uh, agency in US. So basically a deal with them was, okay, we want like 150 videos per month. This is the fee that we pay you on the monthly basis. Uh, we will send you which product uh, we want videos for. We will send you a brief of the videos that uh, are working for us and you create the content. And then the uh, the, the biggest problem was the time lag, uh, the communication and the pricing. So it wasn't, it was still price effective based on the what was out there on the markets based on the other creative mm -hmm. agents. The time lag was really a problem because the shipping time plus they were actually stacking these different shootings together. So we were actually, we needed to do the briefing for one month and a half or even two months in front. What do we need? And if you actually come from the digital marketing, you know that it's hard to plan for one week or two weeks. See if in advance, imagine two months. <laughs> and the third one, it was the communication. How quick can you actually understand what's working and what's not so you can actually adjust it. So this yeah. was the first attempt. The second attempt was actually uh, that we created our own studio in-house. So we actually um, we actually got this uh, big place and we actually uh, bought furniture from Ikea and we set up the studio. So we actually yeah. had like the whole house in one room. 
So it was like just camera was moving on different parts of the room. So everything was, was actually uh, shooted within one place. And the problem was, so we solved the problem on, on the pricing side. So it was yeah. much cheaper. The communication was much better because it was yeah. our own in-house team. Uh, and we can actually communicate with the media buyers right away. I really believe that uh, the most important communication is between creative and the advertisers. Because if the creative yeah. don't get the feedback, they can't do their job, right? And, yeah, but the problem that we got with that was the... So we had like huge volume, price effective, the communication was. But the problem that appeared was the diversity of the content. So all of the content was very similar because it was all shoot in one place so yeah. this was okay and then i i thought about it and okay what can we actually do to solve this problem so we were price effective the communication everything was only diversity was the problem oh, sorry to interrupt that, but could you see this in the results as well that because all the videos are in similar environment the result just you know yeah. getting worse or yeah, yeah. The yeah, and the the burnout of the content was much bigger. So we actually when we started with the content from the studio, the results were like really great. But when we use it for the long period of time and we make more shooting from for the same product, we see that the results on the new shootings were not as effective. So we actually tested, okay, we want to make UGC. And for UGC, we actually wanted to leverage influencers and use them not as the influencers co collaboration, but as a content creators. So mm -hmm. the step there was that we actually found influencers that created good content and agree with them on the monthly deals or even a longer period of time we ship them like five, 10, or how many products. And we agree on the pricing based on the photo and video. And they come back within 14 days, they come back to us with the creatives. And we, we pay them based on the amount of the creatives that they deliver, and they don't need to post anything. And what we had in-house was only uh, one person that communicated with the influencers. Yeah. So to do all the briefing, what's working, what's not, what do we need, and agree with them on the pricing site and the product and the post-production team. So the team that was actually responsible for um, post-production of the videos and photos. So they are... Um, they are adjusted for the Facebook and Instagram needs. In the majority of the cases, it's not needed because influencers are very aware of what's, uh, what drives engagement of those platforms. But this yeah. was actually the system that we implemented and we also solved diversity of it. So we created a huge amount of content with the huge diversity. The, pri the price effectiveness was amazing. So we still leverage this with the majority of our clients. Amazing. Communication was also good because uh, I heard this from other companies. It can be a problem, especially if you have a lot of influencers and uh, sometimes they are too diverse, let's say. So they don't uh, follow the, you know, the, the rules that they should keep, uh, the branding and all of these things. Was it a problem or not really? So it's I think when you actually talk about like influencers in UGC, I think it's really important to not be too strict on the guidelines. So mm -hmm. understand that the branding side, the majority of the branding side will be done on your website. 
So the ads are the connector between a potential buyer and your website. And the majority of the branding will be done on the website. And I see in so many different cases that the companies were really stubborn on mm-hmm. how the creatives look like. And they were not open to UGC content because it wasn't a premium production, a studio premium production. But when, when we actually... Um, finally agree that we want to test it we figure out that in the majority of the cases it outperforms but it comes down to for some brands it works for some it doesn't this is something that you need to test so uh, based on the communication so we try to create different templates briefing but it's really important to give them as much creativity space as possible so obviously there are some limitations and some guidelines but i think it's really important to take also uh to catch the opportunity about their creativity because uh it comes down that maybe they will create a content a good idea where when a team doesn't think about it and with it would be something totally new and it could really uh outperform all the rest so i think it's really important to be and another thing that it's also i think really good to mention is that for some of the markets we found local influencer marketing specialists so how do we usually mm-hmm. how we work right now in some of the markets is that we have an influencer marketing manager on our side and she actually communicates with the local influencer marketing specialist and she knows the market she knows the influencers and the influencer marketing manager who is in-house just give her the guidelines of what do we want what's the campaign about and she is actually responsible on running the campaigns you can do this with the local influencer marketing specialist or you can actually hire also influencer marketing agency because we found out that in some market it really helps and the performance is much better yeah 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 i i I just you know i couldn't agree more so amazing strategy you as you said uh, it's very effective you save a lot of time and uh, and money and it works well these people their brain just you know they just understand the audience and, and they are with yeah the and i think it's really important also to have the naming structure figured out because um mm-hmm. when you actually create a huge amounts of content i think it's really important also to understand the feedback what's working and what's not so it's really important to also have a template for the naming site on the creative level and on if you use like facebook ads or google ads it's really important to actually implement the templated templated uh naming structure in the ad account so you can figure out what's working on the creative site on and what's not so in our case we actually create a naming system on okay to understand who is the creator if it's a video or photo what's the dimension when it was created so this was this is actually the naming that is done on the creative level and then we do the same naming in the ad account level and what the actually then does if you have like same creative with several different accounts what is most important to you to understand on the creative level if it's work or it doesn't so what do we do we actually uh connect like uh, in our case if we talk about uh, facebook we actually connect facebook with google data studio to export all the data on the ad level to understand which creative so the naming is templates to understand which creatives work and which doesn't so it's much easier also for the content creation team to understand which content creator uh, which videos and photos are working best 
and you can actually then break it down also on different funnel level to understand, okay, these are creatives that work on the top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, and the bottom of the funnel. So it's really important to also have like a template for the naming site. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think last time when we had a webinar, we had the same thing with a uh, with Facebook ad guy, with Brian, that uh, many ad accounts, they are just not organized and, you know, just a lot of things just thrown there. And it's very hard to oversee things, what works, the creative, uh, even the uh, the media buyer who who uh, who uses that, um, and what works and what doesn't. Um, my last question: Is there anything else that you want to share with e-commerce guys for this year? Oh, <laughs> this it's is a surprise thing. question. Huh? One it's thing. One thing. Yeah. Figure out multi-channel, guys. Do understand that um, I think in 2021 it's really important to actually think about uh, different channels and to understand okay these are my acquisition channels these are my retention channels these are my branding channels because I think uh, in this year we will have some uh, challenges or struggles with tracking site and it's really important to actually don't do it just to do all the channels just do one by one and at Uh, one on top of the other, but I really I think this year will be really important to understand the multi-channel performance on your brand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, best and may, maybe one more question: best tool for tracking Google Analytics. Be best else? tool? Oh man, <laughs> this one is hard. So uh, to tell you the truth, we haven't actually cracked the code on the tracking side. Uh, we still we still try to find the right solution for it. We are looking in different tools like Hyros, Wicked Reports, Google yeah, Analytics, yeah. but it's all it it's all ups and downs for each of the platforms. So what I usually do is that we track the results on the channel side plus the whole, the market side. So the whole like country and we compare them and we understand what's the color, co coloration between like different metrics and based on that we set up the targets we haven't actually found one tool that would cover all if you have please share it with me and i'll test it tomorrow right away yeah, yeah, if you, yeah. do you have a suggestion for me you know i talk with uh so our agency we don't do ads um but i talked a lot of uh ad experts especially facebook ads and I can hear different things. Many of them, they test, you know, multiple platforms. I, the other day I talked to an agency and they just use Google Analytics and uh, they understand it fully. I mean, it's a big platform, not everything, but the most important things and they just use it. They don't, they, did, they didn't find Hyros to be better. They, they tested Hyros as well. I don't know much about Wicked reports. So yeah, every agency is different. Yeah. Um, But I think analytics is, is good to go until a certain point. The other day, I also talked with an eight-figure uh, mattress brand. And uh, now they will do their own platform, I think, uh, which is very interesting. But uh, they also do offline. So, mm. um, so yeah, it's different for everyone. Yeah. 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 Uh, thanks. At the end of the day. Uh, sorry, please. 
yeah, at the end of the well. day, the most important is that you're profitable at the end of the day. So <laughs> exactly. adjust your tracking that uh, the collaboration will show profit at the end of the month, right? Yeah, yeah. And if you go at your bank account, then most likely that's your best uh, analytics, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks, Yura, again for coming and thanks for everyone listening to us. We come out with an episode every Thursday in our podcast. And um, yeah, thanks again. Have a great day, everyone. Yeah, thanks for inviting me, Daniel. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Ecom Show podcast. If you want to learn more about e-commerce, retention marketing, check out our Facebook group called Top 3% E-commerce Email Marketing or check out our website, thebudaimedia.com. The show is brought to you by the team of Budai Media. See you in our next episode, and don't forget our goal. Grow your e-commerce business together.